when you talk about parking it is low speed that's your biggest plus point like that hands down that's the biggest plus point it's low speed so impact and the risk associated with an impact is far lower but the advantage stops there right you have a very very uncontrolled environment with a heterogeneous mix of potential obstacles that could come in your way so an ai based training based approach is not going to work because you will fail you will have things in your way that you will never have trained and they you will fail hello and welcome to the tonicast as almost always i'm alex roy uh, i'm the founder of the no parking podcast and do secret stuff at argo ai and i'm kirsten korsak senior transportation reporter at techcrunch and i'm ed niedermeyer i'm the communications director for partners for automated vehicle education and today we have a very special guest. Uh, joining us is Anuja Sonoker. She is the founder and CEO of Steer. Anuja, welcome to the Atonicast. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here today. So why don't we just start for, for people who, who aren't familiar with you, um, a little bit about your background first, because um, you know you are coming into this space like with a slightly different background than than um, certainly some of the people we've had on the show, and and then we'll we'll get into into what Steer does after that. Absolutely. So I'll just, you know, keep it casual. And my background is actually two decades of building uh, secure systems from um, the environment being what's available. I have an ex-IBM research background, ex-McAfee, and ex-Defense, almost uh, 15 years in the space. And I've had a couple of successful technology transitions before I started Steer. So I was um, leading the cyber innovation unit at Vattel, where we started the um, automotive cybersecurity unit ahead of its time before cybersecurity was an automotive thing. So, you know, trailblazing the industry at a time when really even acceptance uh, was not there. And we successfully transitioned the world's first intrusion detection system for cars uh, to, you know, uh, the military. And then we also devised and designed the uh, world's first uh, hackathon for for auto automotive, and we transitioned that into a curriculum based uh, uh, week long activity, and we transitioned that successfully to SAE, and it's a very successful franchise now, uh, and it's even a cyber truck challenge. And then I moved on. I, I joined uh, a uh, Israeli startup uh, in automotive cybersecurity again. That's OurSec coming out of Israel, trying to get a foothold in the U.S. And I established OurSec North America, led the first field trials and all the automotive engagements and relationships and transitions. That technology, uh, we were acquired successfully in 2016 by Harman in the backdrop of the Jeep Cherokee hack, which was a very sensational hack, but we happened to have, you know, right place, right time, right technology that would solve uh, and stop that attack. So that led to a very successful transition for all of us. And that journey actually, and I'll also add one other thing to my, uh, my own background is the community building and development I do. Uh, cybersecurity subject matter expertise. I speak a lot on the subject to raise awareness and to actually share techniques and technologies that I bring from the defense side. Uh, things that people are not thinking about, things that how you should be looking at your system, you know, what the intended behavior is and what the actual behavior is. Um, I'm also working, I'm a co-chair of ISO 21434, which is the standard for automotive cybersecurity that's launching this year. Uh, or maybe it will get delayed a little bit now, launching early next year. So, you know, that's basically my background in a nutshell. Okay. 
Um, we could just end the episode right there. <laughs> However, I would like to focus on one thing you said at the beginning. You mm -hmm. worked on a military intrusion detection system. Is that correct? I worked on an intrusion detection system for cars that was Six Sigma certified. That was mm -hmm. transitioned into the military. Yeah. So could I mean, look, I'd love to talk about STEER, but before we do that, uh, <laughs> can, you, can you tell us a little bit more about what an intrusion detection system for a military vehicle looks like. So I'm a big, I'm a military buff. You know, I am loosely familiar with like the land warrior technology programs and, and interconnected systems for, you know, um, uh, military vehicles. Explain what the threat is to say um, a Bradley or an Abrams or any deployed vehicle in a combat environment. What is the hacking threat? What does that look like? How do you defend against it? So, great question. Um, so, let me start here. Let me start with the threat, right? So, so, before I bring the military vehicle into the picture, if you just look at it as a vehicle, there is a external attack surface that is uh, the car and all the boundaries of the vehicle. It can be your telematics. It can be your tire pressure monitoring systems. It can be your radios. It can be um, even your EV line. It can be anything, right? Um, your Bluetooth, all of that. And then there is the internal penetration line that is from inside the cabin out, which is also, again, your USB, your, your drives, your, all of those, your OBD ports, all of that. So these are what we call attack surfaces, and that is from where a threat vector can enter uh, your vehicle. Now let's talk about a military vehicle, right? Um, two things. One is the systems are slightly different because the systems are more robust. The communication is a little more robust because it's tactical in nature. However, the adversary is also more motivated in the case of a military vehicle, right? If you want to penetrate a vehicle and you want to capture it and do something, would you rather do that to a Toyota Corolla sedan on the road or would you rather capture like a, a tactical military vehicle? Like the, you know, the collateral there is higher. So the adversary is far more motivated, can be a nation state adversary, can be a terrorist organization with nefarious, uh, you know, uh, motives. It can be, it is, a, it is an adversary with more resources, more time, more motivation. Right. So that's why it's uh, it's more important. The intrusion detection system's purpose is discovery, detection. So if your if your vehicle has a profile and we know what the profile of this vehicle is and how this vehicle operates when it normally operates, any deviation from that behavior can signal two things. One is this vehicle is malfunctioning, or two, the vehicle is under um, is being um, subdued by some other force. So the ability to detect that something like that is happening is the first step in the ability to mitigate that further. So I'm sorry, guys, if I may ask another question of our friend. No, I have, I have actually one related to this as well. So go ahead and. Right, so you mentioned that the, the tire pressure monitoring system could be a weakness. Now, I remember at one point that, uh, I guess, let's just TPMS systems, mm -hmm. that they were uh, at one point passive, like my old BMW, is just uh, measures tire rotation and compares tire rotation to a mean. And but now TPMS systems often have a wireless connection. So you're, is that that's the the vulnerability? Is the the wireless receiver inside the vehicle uh, is itself is a vulnerability? The wireless receiver itself is a vulnerability. Uh, the TPMS sensors are your transmitters. They're emitting the wireless signal. There's an RF. That's, that's a wheel hub. And the right. That's a wheel hub. Uh, Correct. And the RF hub is inside the vehicle. And the RF hub is tuned to receive those signals from, from the vehicle. Now, 
different vehicles have engineered that, different OEMs have engineered that differently. So let's pick one without picking on them, particularly on the names. But for example, you have an RS. Go ahead, name them. <laughs> you want to get me in trouble today. <laughs> well, I always get into trouble on this subject. So, uh, you know, keep me out of trouble. Uh, but say, you know, there is an RS hub and that RS hub is getting all this information, right? Um, if you masquerade that sensor, uh, falsify the data, so you can send wrong data in, you can actually create another secondary sensor around that's actually transmitting that data and the RS hub will take that data also. Now, it depends on how you craft the message of that sensor. You can keep it as harmless as sending junk data, so instead of being in the range of zero to 30, you're sending 200, 500, whatever. Or you can craft it more maliciously than that. So you could craft it in a way that it's longer in size. And now it's a larger string. If the encoding on the side of the RF, again, it depends on the engineering, the specific engineering that was done, the implementation of that RF hub. If they have not done secure coding practices and, and looking at their string manipulations and things like that, it could go a little tactical if you don't mind for a second. Um, Tactical yes, as in, uh, technologically deeper. Uh, if I go technologically deeper for a second, yeah, I know. tactical. I think sending a message to stop the car now and then making them vulnerable to ambush. Yeah, she'll explain how how to so do that. Worse than that. So worse than that, right? If you send a message or structures in a way that causes a buffer overflow on the RF hub, right? Now what you've done is you've overflown the buffer. Now that RF hub does not work anymore, so it's malfunctioning. Now you are causing, now again, it depends on the rest of the engineering, right? It's going to have a cascaded effect or something else. Sometimes the failure of a system can bus is designed in such a way that when one ECU fails, it starts blasting off a message saying that failure, 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 error, 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 flood the bus, right? That flooding is going to cause everybody else to see that and everybody else is going to say, oh, failure, failure, failure. It's a, there's an effect, right? So an adversary, a truly motivated adversary is thinking about the system and not trying to attack it. It's basically autoimmune disease, right? What it's doing is a truly intelligent attacker will make your system perform in the way it is supposed to perform. It's just going to give it the right trigger and now your system will trickle out of control. By design, it was designed to behave like that. Yeah, that's fascinating. Here's some- so yeah, so um, before we get into steer, although I'm, I'm actually very interested in why you didn't just stick with this because it seems like uh, defense mechanisms in and around and protecting vehicles for autonomous vehicles would be, I mean, you can print money at this point. I, I think this is going to be something that people will need and want. But before I ask that... Um, no, you can ask me. I have a perfect... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I hold that thought. Um, how common is it, though, for on the military side for... Um, bad actors maybe even coming from uh, you know other state state run governments to attack or attempt to attack uh using these types of methods is it still in its nascent sort of stage and military is just protecting against it or when you were working deeply on this were there already lots of instances or, or attempts at you know essentially attacking military vehicles uh, applying funnel level of filter. <laughs> uh, there are there are lots of instances where this is happening in practice, and it's only getting worse. 
and if i may use the word <clears throat> instead of just military vehicles right think about government vehicles so we are talking about when you say military vehicles these are vehicles on the battlefield extremely high rate of you know requiring um, robustness on these vehicles but when you think about military vehicles it's also the ones that are not on the battlefield but that are in support of the battlefield right so think of deployments overseas deployments that we have and all the support vehicles that go into supporting that establishment that base think about foreign services and the sedan the vehicles that are being used for our foreign services for our diplomats and dignitaries think about border border patrol vehicles right on the us borders and uh, drug mafia and people who want to slip in and out of the border and why would they want to sabotage these vehicles you know so yes there is there these are the uh, these attacks that i'm talking about and more sophisticated ones are present today mm-hmm. so do you want to tackle my next question <laughs> my other question yes yes so it seems like a natural question to ponder like why would you get away from that space and you know get into this space and and my my only answer to that is i never got away from the space so you know once a trail blazer always a trail blazer so i may say that when i started in the automotive cybersecurity business it was really about we see this you don't right so it was about starting from raising awareness about it it was a philosophy that really had not got traction but persistence and you know bringing your expertise to show them why and how this is this works and this matters right it helped it helped open the doors and that is why you see today the industry the automotive cyber industry where it is today and it's a monetized but it's it's commoditizing if i may say that right so my job there was done i truly believe that i can leverage my expertise i'm still leading the standards i'm still doing all of that so i'm still showing the way but as i was building these systems to be very honest right as i was building these systems um and i was watching the first wave of autonomous vehicles coming through and 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 more power to them they're fabulous experts they bring great credibility they're building these vehicles from scratch they're coming from a robotics angle they are building vehicles solving robotics problems and then transitioning that applying that to to cars i felt that cars already had so much on them already because of the adas features that were already in place that they only incrementally needed just a little bit of a push uh, to add some more on there to be able to do some kind of limited autonomous function that then you could also apply the rest of the you know things that need to go on there before this can become a responsible technology so the cyber security you need to have that end to end and all of that now if you're still in the process of building that auto- automation capability you're never going to get to this phase so i felt just watching what was going on and my experience in this automotive cyber business that most vehicles already had uh, what was required i just needed to add a little bit more so my goal was um i want to take this philosophy and i want to show them so i have a very special skill set right so because of the defense environment you have to go into very very harsh environments you have to go into environments where the assumptions are not in your control the adversary is not in your control uh, the infrastructure may not be in your control uh, the data can be captured you know you are subject to device capture data capture lots of things so you can't assume anything you have to make do with what's available and you have to build rapidly when you build rapidly you build a connected system that works end to end that gives you the security and the protection end to end so that whatever your application is running you can run that end to end right and then you have to tear it down so 
that background allowed me to think in that same sense here. And we started in 2016. Still started in 2016 with this ADAS-centric approach, which today you will see everybody says this is the approach, right? Amazing. So, who would have, who could have predicted that? I, I don't even know. Like so, but, but this was our approach in 2016. I mean, we've never pivoted on this approach ever. So I like, I like what I'm hearing. So. So, so can you just tell us a little bit about the um, the sort of the system that that I mean, that's great context and background. What so specifically, what is the the system that that Steer is building? So, Steer is building is so we focused on a niche in the autonomous space. We don't want to solve the level five fully autonomous, but we want to do a level four autonomy, something that's fully autonomous but in a limited ODD. And we pick low speed navigation, driving, and parking. So, because that's an end point. In any journey from point A to point B, you have an endpoint. So that's what we wanted to focus on. And so what we built is a um, a kit, a technology that can be retrofitted onto existing cars. It leverages some things that are already existing on your vehicle, like your sensors. It adds a compute module because we don't want to touch anybody's ECUs, anybody's compute modules on the car and run our software on, on, on that. So now the decision-making algorithms and you know all of that is sitting on our computing module. And it's basically reading sensor data from the vehicle. We have augmented it with a few sensors that were missing on the car so that we have a complete triple redundant sensor set. And then make the decisions and actuate the vehicle. So even for the actuational vehicles, we are leveraging the drive-by-wire that already exists in the vehicle. So in, in that sense, we're building the glue, the sandwich in the middle. Um, and that's the system. So we um, this can be retrofitted onto existing vehicles, mainly 2012, 13, and newer, as long as they have drive-by-wire and they have you know radar and they have ultrasonics on the vehicle already. Uh, camera we augment ourselves because in the in the uh, state space of the cameras out there, this, there was so much heterogeneity that in order for us to be able to provide a, a level of maturity, a level of assurance that this technology works the way we are you know, uh, standing by it, we had to lock down the camera. And uh, so that's why we add the camera and uh, uh, a few more small sensor modules in there. That's how that goes part of the kit. Uh, the beauty of the system is that this is transitionable directly into the OEM space because it was built with existing ADAS sensors. It was built with the supply chain. And because I'm an automotive person, I'm not a robotics person coming into automotive. I'm an automotive person building in automotive. Right. So because of that, we are so closely aligned with the supply chain. Uh, ISO 26262, 21434, all of this, you know, everything, we're all so well aligned. We are working with OEMs today and, uh, you know, transitioning this technology onto their cars as a software package. So now they bring the platform and the ECU that they want to flash this on and you can run it on off of that. So it's so seamless. It's so seamless. So basically that's what we've built is we have a direct to consumer path that goes outside of any OEM control and rapid validation with them, building an ecosystem out. Uh, which I'll talk about in a second. And then we also have the OVM path that gives us massive volume and scale to come top down from there. And the ecosystem that I mentioned, if I just circle back there, Steer is not just the automation technology itself. Steer is actually a um, mobility-focused service. So it's basically tying automation to the end point. So you have points of interest. You have a map. You have places that the car recognizes. And when you get there, your car knows what it needs to do. See, as a human also, um, the own, there's only two ways. Alex, correct me, you may have a third. But there, there's only two ways that I can think of 
that a person can get from point A to point B. You get into your car and you know how to get there and you drive yourself there. You have all the directions. And the second one is you don't know how to get there, which means you'll be sitting still in your car until something gives you turn-by-turn -turn instructions. It can be the, a friend sitting next to you or you're reading a map or a navigation device or whatever, or your city or anything. Something is telling you how to get there. So as you increase the level of automation, right, you go from a level two plus like the Hyundai Smart Car. I mean, we did that. Don't say level two plus, whatever you do. <laughs> use somebody else's words. How about that? Mm. Okay. So like a like a Hyundai smart park, right? Like we did that 18 months ago. You press a button, your car goes forward. You press a button, car goes backward. You pull in and out of a spot. That requires minimal contextual awareness, minimal situational awareness, right? So, but as you up the level of intelligence, as the level of autonomy and the human recedes further and further back and the vehicle becomes more and more self-reliant, self-dependent, autonomous, right? More and more, uh, if I may use that very poor word instead of automated for a quick second. Um, as you do that, you have to expand the situational awareness. You have to expand the context of the vehicle understands how much and how clearly does it understand, right? It also has to understand what its mission is. What is the mission am I executing in this space? So for that reason, you have to give the vehicle more and more and more information. So skills, not just the kit. It's also that cloud and the cloud infrastructure and the cloud algorithms. It's also the data that uh, is connecting you. All those live places, we have activated 33 places in Maryland that are recognized by the system, right? They are train stations, airports, malls, sports complexes, uh, schools, CVSs, grocery stores, whatever. There's a whole gamut of them. The car will recognize, it's like the Tesla supercharger network, right? There's a network. You know, the car knows where those points are. It's like that. So you have to, as you go into valet mode, autonomous valet parking, your car needs to know. Valet is a two-person job, right? You hand your car off to a valet and the car, and the valet takes the car and goes and parks. The valet knows everything about where it needs to go and park and how. You have no clue. You just hand off your car. So it's a two-person job. Parking is a two-person job. And you have to connect the asset holder, the parking asset holder. So in that sense, we have solved the two-party problem. Um, you were talking about how you have sort of two models. One is to, um, a direct to consumer. Does that mean like to individuals or more of a B2B type of application where you will work with, let's say a business as a fleet of vehicles that go to all the same stops or something like that? Um, are you doing any sort of fleet level businesses partnering with I don't know, retailers or where there's a lot of activity, the Amazons of the world, maybe. Thank you. Uh, fabulous question. I think you zeroed on. So we have two, two uh, go-to-market strategies. One is the OEM and one is the direct-to-consumer. The direct-to-consumer, we have uh, B2B and B2C. So in the B2B, we are working with fleet. We actually have government fleet that we are working with. Um, Department of Public Works vehicles that we will outfit our uh, technology on there and um, inspectors who will move point A to point B. There are two actually other customers that I, I'm not at liberty to speak about, but they have a very similar profile that it's a multi-point journey. They have to stop at one place, stop at another, stop at another, stop at another, stop at another, and so forth. So the amount of time they spend stopping at that site, pulling over, parking, and then doing their job, and then getting on the journey back again, that time is just as much as the time of the job itself. So you can get 100% efficiency if you were not doing one and doing only the other. <laughs> uh, Cybersecurity threat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm colorless. Oh, whatever. 
um so we have fleets we are working with we are um so we there are fleets we are working with uh, there is the consumer angle we have about 683 people signed up for the staircase some of which some of whom are being onboarded uh, successfully uh, again it depends on the vehicle see the b2c is the hardest market to crack because everybody has a different vehicle right It's slightly different so what we're doing is we are prioritizing that list and we're clubbing people together in classes and segments so that we can kind of control that engineering process and the installation process fleets are easier because fleets are homogenous most of the time 90% of the time the fleets are homogenous there's like 200 vehicles of the same type 50 vehicles of the same type so the installation also can go faster so it's it's far more uh, streamlined and then we have governments you know we're working with usdot working with mta maryland transit agency for all the train stations in maryland we're working with maa maryland aviation administration that controls all the airports in maryland uh we're working with um howard county government so we have a lot of we have a lot of like this kind of you know levels yeah Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com/survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. Thanks. I so w- one of the the really the fascinating thing about about what you're you're doing with this company to me is that you're you're you know we know you know from thus far in the the history of autonomy which has had lots of ups and downs um you know that that really uh Uh, matching the level of technology with a domain where it can be effective enough um, and reliable enough to be to be relied on um, is is really kind of the key to this, right? And and we've seen challenges with things like level three because on the one hand a freeway might seem like easy, but but there are all kinds of issues there, and um, and you do need you know because of the high speeds you need really long range sensors and things like that. Um, I was wondering if you could just sort of talk about parking as a domain and sort of how how you know the technology now especially because you're building off of like you say an, an ADAS set um uh, uh, sort of core you know so you're building off of the core ADAS uh, uh, sensors and 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 all that and and adding to it for this domain so i guess you you've mentioned some of the things that you add but but if you could just sort of talk about what parking is like as as a domain um and sort of how that relates to to what you've had to do technically sure they had as are all of them right so i i'm not saying anything else right they're all very hard ev problems in general are very hard it sounds like on the surface that oh it's parking okay you know but parking is very hard because see imagine you're driving on a highway you're doing cruise control or whatever you're driving only in one direction you're not making a u turn you're making a reverse you're not going left right you're not changing your gear right so in when you talk about parking it is low speed that's your biggest plus point like that hands down that's the biggest plus point it's low speed so impact and the risk associated with an impact is far lower 
but the advantage stops there right you have all these crazy angles in parking lots that your steering wheels need to turn at certain angles at that rate otherwise you're going to overshoot or undershoot you are going to change gears you're going to go forward backward forward backward you're going to pull in pull out you know you're going to do that you have pedestrians in your way you have other vehicles you have other vehicles not streamlined in your direction of travel so on a highway everybody is going this way whereas in a parking lot you are going this way some people are going this way some people are pulling out this way right they're pulling out of parking spots suddenly people mer- emerge because they finished parking and they're merging right so you have a very very uncontrolled environment with a heterogeneous mix of potential obstacles that could come in your way so an ai based training based approach is not going to work because you will fail you will have things in your way that you will never have trained and they you will fail right so that approach cannot work so you have to you have to build um your algorithms differently your detection has to be slightly different in that sense your uh, control your controllers at that low speed you have to retune all your controllers so uh, parking in that sense is very hard um it has its own complex set of challenges but the good thing is that parking what we do is a force multiplier we are not a competitor to anybody in the av space we are actually a force multiplier for everybody because anybody else who's doing anything else parking can help you right it's an end point you can do what you do well and then we can help you with the parking because hands down uh we are i believe and let me cut myself a slice of some humble pie uh, while i do this so uh, hands down i believe we have the most mature uh system when it comes to automated parking in the world because we have specifically focused on this we have zeroed in on this we have zeroed in on you know you cannot imagine how many use cases we have i'm happy to show you how our testing and validation team what a fabulous job big shout out to them what they do and how they've created a process out of chaos uh, there and um, we have put more miles more time and more uh, iterations of just packing and summoning your car packing and summoning your car than possibly anybody else and this is not simulation this is all hands on working with cars on the ground because again i come from a, a military tactical background and simulations are great but i have been part of many projects where everything works in the lab and then you transition it to tora bora came and it doesn't work you know it just everything breaks down why because we didn't realize that all oh, the frequency bounces in this case like this <laughs> okay whatever so it is very important to understand physiological and environmental constraints and you know not all environmental constraints can be absorbed yes simulation is important there is a place for it in the world you can do 85% of the job and refine your algorithms but that last 15% is where everything dies anyway right every 1% it is exponentially harder to get get there so when you are in simulation land it is even harder because sometimes you go backwards first in order to get those algorithms to really work in the in the real world and in maryland we are blessed with really taxes and a lot of you know bad weather so in maryland we have we don't have sunny balmy climate we don't have, we have snow we have rain we have sleet we have dark days we have everything so we have had a very very good testing environment um in order to do what we do so i mentioned to you earlier we work with so many state agencies to get the stakeholders like state agencies on board it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of gate checks so you know law enforcement safety um technical reviews 
administratively what needs to be done you know perception social acceptance so many so many things right staying in in uh, lockstep with regulation um bills in the in the you know houses and a lot of things like that so the ability to cross all those hurdles to be able to work with these agencies to the point where they are commercially adopting it right that shows you how much on the ground work needed to happen it cannot happen if it's all on the computer um you you mentioned you were working with OEMs so are you working with OEMs on just this parking component because i can think of some automakers like tesla for example that um you know have been pushing an automated parking product but it might not be as robust as they would like i would love to work with the tesla i have we are not but i would love to because you know they put out a summon feature first we have done the park in the summon the parking in the sense is harder because you've already parked and then you're summoning your car back the car just comes back to you parking means it's a three mission job right you send your car to park now the car goes to park to some wherever and then it's searching for a parking the second mission now it has to find an available spot it has to be suitable for your car and then the third mission is to maneuver into that spot so there is a three mission goal versus summon is a one mission goal right so and i think somewhere tesla recently came out with the with a comment that our customers have indicated that we would rather have a parking feature than a summon feature so now they're working on a parking feature um one one just quick distinction that i'm very curious about um so i think tesla says when you use uh, even the the advanced the smart summon or whatever the latest one that they have right now that um you have to be in direct observation of the car you have to keep your button on the control so there is in a sense it's it's sort of remote level 2 kind of a of a thing and and it sounds like your system is distinct from that as well um so i want to just and and usually the simplest way to break this down is when your system is active um you know who's liable uh, if something if something happens right um and th- that seems to me to be so so yeah is that a distinction yes so thank you for pointing that out it, it is a distinction we don't have to hold our button down uh for the valet parking we don't have to hold the button down you can initiate the system does a series of almost 32 33 checks before it starts each and every time and it's going to go um so it basically allows you to do something else with your time you don't have to watch uh, the vehicle if the vehicle run in, runs into obstacles other vehicles or the vehicle can self you know adjust to that right it can it will adjust it's autonomous in that sense if it runs into an issue that is unresolvable you will get a message right it's going to stop itself it will stop itself and you will get a message so it's not going to go crash into something it is will not that that is that is very 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 well tested it is not going to go and crash into another because you're not going to find the secret crashing into anything else um so that is why we stand behind our our, our product uh if the vehicle is at fault i mean if there's a, if there first of all if there's a parking lot accident normal parking lot accident rules apply who's at fault right who came head on who was stopped who was moving all of that if it happens that the steer car was moving and the steer car is at fault and the steer software is the one that is at fault our like our we cover the liability our product liability will taken and we are very upfront about it we are very upfront about it but you had another question in there the line of sight yes the so in that sense tesla is less mature than we are but you know if you look at a tesla system not to kind of uh, take anything away from them they are a trailblazer i mean he showed the world that people want this not please so feel free to take away from them i i, I drive one every day <laughs> go ahead 
but uh, so no but he is a trailblazer right i you cannot take that away from him uh, he showed the world uh, that you know this is important uh, but my point is just like they have designed their system differently so it it is a ai based thing it kind of judges uh, it's a non deterministic system if i may use that word as a very deterministic system it is if you use a tesla someone and alex correct me if i'm wrong at different times it will behave differently in the same place unfortunately right? correct <laughs> so because it's making a determination on the fly that oh i can drive here or not and if your car is parked somewhere and you summon it and it's two parking lanes away and there's some open spaces your car is going to cut through those parking lanes those those spots and come to you because it's as the crow flies it's coming to you in the fastest shortest way it can come whereas the steer car will come out and it will drive the air and it will come to you it will drive on the lane so for somebody outside who's not either you or the car who's observing your vehicle it's going to look like a normal vehicle normally driving itself nobody will even know it's a driverless vehicle unless it passes by and they actually glance inside the seat because behaviorally that car behaves predictably like how a good human driver i'm labeling for a second but like a good human driver would would do right but as a tesla is unpredictable and that is why people get nervous because they don't know what it's going to do the predictability builds trust on a on a sort of engineering level because there there's so much hype um and excitement i guess around around ai artificial intelligence um and but as you point out right those aren't ai is sort of fundamentally non-deterministic um and and i think a lot of people oftentimes get confused by the fact that that being uh, uh deterministic is actually uh, kind of a good thing in in a lot of cases in in self-driving um so i guess just on a on an engineering level if you can just sort of explain uh sort of how how to build a more deterministic uh sort of alternative to something that that is just purely an ai based sort of approach or or more more purely ai so i think i think mapping for example might be part of that but but just sort of talk about about how how you do that how you take you know bring a little bit more predictability and and deterministic uh uh qualities to your system so the reason why we took a deterministic approach was again background is automotive so building in the automotive ecosystem you have to keep in mind what the end goal is right so if you want to do automotive vnv verification and validation uh, the more non deterministic your system the more you're going to get stuck in that phase you will not cross it right because you just can't move it just it's just because of the nature of the auto business and the auto industry and how the standards came and how the processes are they are all deterministic so if you build a, a non deterministic system now you're pushing something through that's not that the system is not built to handle and assess that is why you see a lot of um proponents of av technology saying we need new validation techniques for ai basic and now so now you're reinventing the entire ecosystem that goes with it that takes time that is why the av timelines keep getting pushed out right people are solving this problem then they go to the next one then they go to the next one then they go they're building as you go along right so if you build a technology that the pipeline and the system is already geared towards it's going to go through faster this simple logic right so that is why i wanted to make sure that we are not in a non deterministic space we are in a deterministic space that's the reason behind it now when you are building in a deterministic space you have to make decisions where you are locking down multivariate right so if you have a multivariate problem if you are optimizing along multiple problems it is it is eventually going to become non deterministic right so you have to start locking down things um one of the things i alluded to earlier is as you up the level of autonomy 
and hands off people you have to give the vehicle more and more substantial information so that the vehicle is capable of making decisions on its own right and you give it now so now the key here is the input what input do you give it so it can make a decision if i give you alex some very fuzzy information what are you going to do then i have to make a decision what are you going to do is that a rhetorical question yeah yeah <laughs> i mean you're going to guess right exactly you're going to guess right so the more information i give you peripherally the better your guess can be but it's still a guess but if i give you specific information and i give you the assurance that this is valid data and this is hard points like this is um this is your end point this is your starting point that's it you have to drive between those two this is where the parking lot is this is the turn by turn navigation to get there if i give you that information now i take away so much of the guesswork from you right now you focus your muscle memory on the things that you have to do which is what operationally you have to do right so i took all the guesswork out now and i locked those things down now the only things that you have to do and hopefully there is not guesswork is how to drive like the driving maneuver right so now you are focused on the operational things for which only contextual awareness and situational awareness is required which your sensor suite can now give you so the dynamic inputs now are only the ones that are coming through your sensor suite right so your eyes your ears what am i seeing on the road i have to drive from point a to point b i have to turn by turn navigation how to do that i know exactly in how many meters i need to make a left and right and u turn and left turn and 30 degree turn and i know all of that and what speed i have to travel i know all of that now all i have to do is watch for people all i have to do is not bang into somebody else and all i have to do is maintain you know that path right so now it becomes a robotic problem so it's basically locking down clapping down your your uh, your variables to the point where you can make a non deterministic system into a deterministic system this may seem like a left turn here but have you seen the television show devs uh no tell me what alex has a contract with was it amazon where he has yeah. to mention it every show yeah oh well i'm just, I'm just kidding since you haven't seen it and everyone is making fun of me we'll skip it for an offline conversation but i highly recommend it because it is the entire show is about the debate between a, about determinism yes no possible um quality of data and volume of data and they build a quantum computer but that's for another show another <laughs> show go on I so, so I'll, I'll just to add on to that though um when when you're talking about the you know you know everything in advance and this this is because to to do this right your vehicles need to have gone through the parking area once to map it already before you can do this automatic parking is that right you have to do you, you have to do some mapping or not or is it a is it a, a simultaneous mapping thing not, not, not necessary so um, that's a that's a great question i mean i think that's a perfect natural uh, follow on question to what we just talked about now we talked about how the system is deterministic and what's locked down and what has to be maneuvered right so now again input i am giving you the right input so that i'm taking the guesswork away right to give you the right input i'm going to give you that turn by turn information now if i make the turn by turn information so hard to get i have solved one part of the problem but not the whole problem you see i shifted the uh, the um, problem to a different place right so now your energy is now focused on how do i get all these expensive high definition maps and how do i scale this system 
So working backwards from the gap, this is my forte. You see the problem and you work backwards from there, right? Not build the solution and try to fit it in the in the gap. So working backwards from there, we have actually created our IP is in this space. We have created a uh, self learning mechanism where uh, the car, the steer car, can be put into learning mode and it can learn the route for you. So what, like you said, once you drive through, it's going to learn that, and it's not going to learn the lower level details like here's a spot here's a spot here. it's not going to learn that it's going to learn how to get there it's going to learn the big picture because the little picture is the what the sensors are going to help you to right it's splitting the problem into two parts so you're only learning big picture uh, the second thing is you don't have to have the car do it we have an enterprise version of this uh, learning capability that you can actually download on your smartphone you can actually have it on your smartphone not have the steer kit you can have that app running and now you drive your car now you can learn even that way you can learn so now it's learning your behavior how you're driving without actually touching your car and then there is a whole mechanism and a process where we can absorb that this is where we can use ai it is a non-critical non-safety critical role we are using ai here we have made that that learning technology foolproof so that you cannot go wrong in how you train right the train the route we're not training anything else so you are now able to learn the route we will validate there are no deadlocks, no loops, and you're not taking us for a crazy ride or whatever. And then that becomes available. You can keep your maps private. So if you have your dentist and your you know grocery store and some special places you go to, you can keep them for yourself. Or you can make them available to the community. And you can say, you know what, this is my neighborhood Kroger, and I think other people can also use this. You make it available to the community. So then we will have a second validation process, and we'll check, because it's going to go to everybody else. You can't poison the network, right? So again, cybersecurity, but not data. Data poisoning you know, is, is, a, is an attack. So you cannot poison the network. So there is a series of checks there. There's a human in the loop in that, in that process there. And then it becomes available to the entire subscriber network. So tomorrow when you turn on your phone, it says, hey, your neighborhood Kroger is on the CRN network. Would you like to navigate there and you know, car let your car park itself? So it, it, it scales like that. I, I'm kind of curious about sort of like, especially with the OEM option, um, I know you're working with a, like a tier one supplier. Like this is, it's, it's interesting that, that it is because of the, it's an endpoint. It is something that you could put on just a normal car that's not really, you know, just has ADAS for, for normal sort of driving. And then when you get somewhere, it'll have, some of these auto park features that that seems like a cool thing that people might want on their car. How long are people going to have to wait for that? Do you think to to order it like at, from the factory on on a car as an option? So not very long. Uh, if you want to if you want to do a factory order, it's probably going to be like a year and a half. We are in some you know if they're very deep into two OEMs, so it should still be a year and a half. I think because because coronavirus happened, right? So everybody, the industry has slowed down a little bit. So there's a little bit of a, um, an effect on production, production timelines, uh, new models, new features, and things like that. However, I can tell you that this feature is trickling to the top in the priority list as a way to jumpstart people to actually come out and buy cars again. You have to have something to pull people in, right? So it is, it is kind of looking like that more and more now. Um, there is a dealer install option. So you can actually, if you buy a car today that does not have this on there, you can actually get it put on by your dealer and you can drive it off. So still almost new, right? The 2020, 21 model, you can still do that. And then there is the retrofit that we have installers that will come and install this. So AAA is a steer installer. As we have, um, you know, they are certified to do steer kit installs. So uh, they have a nationwide network. Uh, we will start in Maryland. 
And because our go-to-market strategy is, you know, the roadmap is we see Maryland, Virginia region first, saturate that market and move outward. So, um, but AAA can do the install. So we have uh, we have um, automotive dealerships also that are signed up to do the installations. So we have integration partners, scaling partners. We have uh, Chamberlain Group. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Chamberlain Group, but they are the um, they are the largest garage door opener company. In, in the world, and 84% of the garage door opener market is Chamberlain. It's been hands down, like if you know, hands down, they're the market leader. And so you think of Craftsman, Genie, uh, Liftmaster, MyQ, Merlin. These are all Chamberlain brands. So um, if nowhere else, if you even don't use the steer network, you can automatically park your car in your garage in your home. And you get free Amazon in garage delivery with the with it with the bundle package together, uh, and your car can drive up to your driveway. It will recognize that it's your home. The garage recognizes it's your it's your car and it's in autonomous mode. There's a secure handshake in between that. Garage door will open. Car will go in. Um, car will shut off first, then garage will close so that there's no carbon monoxide threat. And reverse also. The garage door will open first, then the car will start and it will come out. And that's harder than you think, you know, to get that that synchronization done. Uh, also, also um, intruders being careful of that. It was all things like that. But my point is that there is a very large value added ecosystem here that for any consumer, um, there are so many different things that they can harvest. And each of them helps them save their time. And when you save time in multiple places like this, they exponentially add up. So, yes, if you want to not touch your car with a retrofit, you want to get it OEM installed, it will take you a little bit of time because you may like a particular car. We may not be available on that car yet. Right? So that matchup has to happen. Um, you could, if you like the feature so much, buy a car that an OEM that has that offering. Uh, otherwise, you can get a dealer installed. Otherwise, you can get it retrofitted. Uh, so those are the ways. We're just about out of time here. Alex Kirsten, do you wanna do you wanna get in some last questions? I mean I I address no, I mean I think actually we addressed just about everything. I'm I'm kinda curious to see when we get a chance to maybe like see it in action. So I'll be looking forward to that. Alex looks very Circumspect right now. Uh, I'm bounded by uh, questions I can't ask and answers I may not want to hear. <laughs> but I, but I believe in you and what you're doing. Thank you. I, I love what you are doing, what you stand for, especially. And I think that all AB companies, you know, I'd love to work with everybody. I'm a big believer in community building and partnerships and development. We have some very, very good partnerships that we have put together in place. And I think that almost every AV company I can think of are, are great partners for us to have because we can be force multipliers for each other. I think at the end of the day, the idea is to take autonomy to the people. There's no point in like one generation of people will not get to use it because we are trying to get the perfection, you know, done. So we should get this in the hands of more people. And I think, you know, uh, combining forces is, is the right way to do that. Yeah. I have one more question. Yeah. How many AV companies will still exist in the world in six months? It's a tra it's the trolley problem question of the Atonicast. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. I, I, you, unfortunately, some will go away. Unfortunately, some will go away. And I suspect the ones that um, raised big money and burned fast, 
I think those are the ones that likely will have to make tough decisions. But the ones like steer that are very lean, we are like you know the cockroach that can survive the. <laughs> Uh, we can survive the, uh, the whatever the dinosaurs were killed in. Yeah. Where can we learn more about your your company? Are you active on Twitter or your website or Medium? Where can we find you? Uh, you can find us on our website. We're very active on uh, LinkedIn. We are active on Twitter. We are trying to get our game up more on Instagram, Facebook, and everything. We have lots of YouTube um, videos, but they're all mostly unlisted. We are in the process of okay, um, let's start sharing all of this stuff because uh, you know I think it's it's important. By the way, happy National AV Day! So <laughs> uh, that's today. That was yesterday. I- Okay. Yeah. So, so this will have come out slightly afterwards. I didn't know that that was a holiday until this morning when I I saw. Isn't a, it your job to know these things? And- I, you know what? You would think so, and I had I had no idea. But epic fail, epic fail. Yeah. Well, I'm. I, I have to say, I'm really glad that we got to talk about um, sort of the use of AI in safety critical situations and 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 deterministic versus non-deterministic systems. That's just really great. I think it's really important for people to understand, especially as they learn more about these systems, sort of how important that that safety component is. So thank you so much for, for helping explain that um, uh, just from an educational standpoint. And, and just in general, this has been a, a fantastic episode and um, it's been great hearing from you. And, and I think we're all excited to see what, what you do next. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. You guys are fabulous. I came here today not to kind of talk more about me, but to hear your questions because you talk to almost everybody and you see so much. You see so much. You're you're like um, a very central node of information going through. So I really wanted to hear uh, what questions you have in your mind, what thoughts you have. So it was more for me to kind of, you know, learn that. Uh, I will say one thing you said to me about how you can see the system. I would love to show you the system. It's it's raring to go. Uh, if you can come to Maryland, we'll make it worth your trip. If not, we can do a virtual session for you and we can let you control the buttons and you can let the car go and you can watch, show what happens. We can make it exciting for you. We can throw in, you know, we have new interns. We can throw them on the road and you can watch them and see how the car handles them. And, um, it's a new then- internship program, I guess. <laughs> It's called the self-sacrificing goat. That's the title. Yeah. <laughs> Alex looked like Great. he was about to jump in with a question. So, no, no, no. Yeah. Well, I, I'm definitely going to be in the in the Baltimore and, and DC area at some point because I have family there and I have colleagues there now. Um, so I'm really looking for. I'm definitely going to take you up on that offer, and um, hopefully we'll we'll be able to record a little bit of, uh, something for the Atonicast then. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. And Alex Pittsburgh is not far. My sister used to live in Pittsburgh, so I know. Hey, wait, did you go to Carnegie Mellon? Is that right? No, I went to College Park. I'm a Turk, but my sister went to uh, Pennsylvania to what's you go to University of Pittsburgh. Well done. Great. Well, Anuja Sonokar, thank you again for your time. Uh, this has been wonderful. And uh, again, we, lo- we look forward to talking to you more in a, a future uh, episode of the Atonicast. Yeah, Thanks. please follow Ed Niedermeyer, uh, Tweeter Meyer on, on, on uh, Twitter and his adventures managing uh, communications for PAVE. Absolutely. And, and, yeah, please do. And feel free to follow up on us. I am happy to uh, spread the word myself. So absolutely happy to do the news course.
And let's not forget Kirsten Korosek, the most, the, the wisest voice in, uh, in transportation journalism. I'm Alex Roy, 144 on all platforms. <laughs>